Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. It is a shame that so many churches have done away with their choir and their orchestra. We are so blessed every week to enjoy that. I, I just am thankful that we still have one. <laughs> Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. A man's wife handed him a shopping list and asked him to pick up a few things at the grocery store. When he got to the grocery store, he realized he had forgotten his reading glasses. And with arm, with paper at arm's length, he could make out all of the list except for the last line. He kept trying, he just couldn't read it. So he noticed a young woman who was stocking canned goods and he walked up to her and he said, ma'am, could you read me the last line on this list? She took it, she looked at it, she smiled and said, I love you, Pookie. Maybe you've had the experience of making a remark that was intended for someone and somebody else took it personally or took it instead. It may have been that the one who applied the remark to himself was the one who least needed it, but still they applied it to themselves because they were sensitive and because they really wanted to learn from what was going on about him. John may have had that in mind when he wrote this. And the reason I say that is because I, I call your attention to several weeks ago when we began 1 John. I told you because of the heresy that was going on and John being the last living apostle that had seen the living Jesus and all the heresy that was going on about Jesus and about who really was saved and who wasn't and how the elite thought they were and so forth. When he wrote this letter, he came out punching Immediately, he talked about who Jesus was and is, and he talked about obedience, and he talked about love. And it could very well have been that the believers in that church that were actually authentic believers might have been worried a little bit about who they were. And so John writes this to reassure them of who they are and what they have in Jesus Christ. Years ago, back in 1999, actually, in the Arizona Daily Sun, Dear Abby column ran a story about a retired school teacher. 
One day while she was teaching, she had her students take out two pieces of paper and list the names of all the other students in the class. And then she said, I want you to write out beside their name the nicest thing that you can think about them and and know about them. She took all of those papers home and then compiled each one according to each name. If she put the name at the top and then all the nice things that the other students had said about them. And then she brought it to class the next day and gave it to each of the students. And before long, everyone was smiling in the class. She heard things like, really? I never knew that meant anyone, meant anything to anyone. I didn't know anyone liked me that much. Years later, that teacher went to the funeral of one of her former students who had been killed in Vietnam. And after the service, and also there were many in that class who visited or who had come to that funeral service. And after the funeral was over, the young man's parents approached the teacher. They said, we want to show you something. Their son's name was Mark, who was killed. Mark was carrying this when he was killed. The father pulled out of a wallet the list of all the good things that Mark's classmates had said about him. They said, thank you so much for doing that. As you can see, Mark treasured it. Well, a group of Mark's classmates that were at the funeral overheard that conversation, and another one walked up and smiled sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in the top desk drawer at home. Another one said, I have mine too. It's in my diary. Still another one said, I put it in our wedding album. And a fourth one said, I bet we all saved them. I carry mine at all times. At that point, the teacher sat down and cried and she used that assignment in every class for the rest of her teaching career. Well, that illustrates how desperately people need encouragement. God wants us to be encouraged by his grace so that we're motivated to live for him. We're not told, we're not given a bunch of do's and don'ts and a list. Because of God's grace, we're motivated to live for him. But for those of us who were raised in Christian homes and grew up in the church, sometimes God's grace doesn't seem to motivate us like it should because we think pharisaically when we think that God did not have to bestow as much forgiveness on us as he did those who really messed up their life. Folks, those of you who may have come out of some difficult past and you may have been in the, quote, gutters of life, so to speak, you, you, may, you, you come and find out how God loves you and how he's forgiven you, and it motivates you to follow him. But those of us in church, sometimes we sort of take that for granted. But I want to tell you something. Don't ever take for granted the forgiveness of God. There's a line in a hymn, Come Thou Fount, written by Robert Robinson that says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. 
Now, John sort of interrupts his testing here. He's writing this letter to show people who are authentic Christians. And right in the middle of it, he he writes these little phrases that talks about encouraging. And he calls them little children, fathers, and young men. Now, I want to get something out here in the open immediately. I'm not hung up on pronouns like the politically correct are. So when he says fathers, it means mothers too. And when he says young men, it means young women too. Okay. So if I say the word men or fathers and all, I'm not neglecting you women. Just, just understand that. Okay. I can't believe I even have to explain that anymore. But he's not indicating their age. He's indicating the stages of their spiritual maturity. He wants his readers at whatever stage of their Christian walk that they're in to consider what God has done for you, for them. Six times he uses the perfect tense in the explanatory phase, the because phrase, indicating that the action happened in the past, but it's still going on today. John Stott in his commentary said, John is laying emphasis on the assured standing into which every Christian has come, whatever his stage of spiritual development. To grow, we must be assured and encouraged about what God has done and is doing in our lives. So you're going to see yourself somewhere today in this. I don't know what stage you're in, but the first thing he mentions is the salvation of young believers. New believers. He calls them little children. In verse 12, he uses the word technia, which is the word for born one or to beget or bring forth. It means to be born and emphasizes the relationship to the parent, to the mom and dad. In verse 13, he uses a different word for children, technia, which speaks of the um, immature baby that's under direction, under subordination, being trained and taught. Technia stresses kinship. Padilla emphasizes subordination. And by being born of God, John's readers had become children of God. Now, he mentions two things that you have as a child of God, and you still have it. The first one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. The sins are forgiven for his name's sake. John stated earlier that Christ was the propitiation for our sin. He stated that he is the advocate for us. He means that their sins have been forgiven, not all because of what they've done, but for his name's sake. You can't do anything to make your sins be forgiven. You can't do enough penance. You can't go through enough rituals. You can't take the Lord's Supper enough. You can't be baptized enough to have your sins. Baptism doesn't take away your sin. But you understand what I'm saying? There's so many people that go through all of these rituals all the time. A man here on this earth can't absolve you of your sins. Only Jesus Christ can. And as God's little children, we need to be encouraged by the truth that not only has he forgiven us of our sins, 
but they're still forgiven today. In fact, the word forgive means to separate, to erase, to put away. It actually has the idea of separating the sin from the sinner so that they're not together anymore, that no, you're no longer identified by your sin. Now, don't ever allow yourself, I hope you never allow yourself to, to be in the place where when you hear that, you say, well, that's no big deal. I've heard that all my life. It's the biggest deal you could ever have. <laughs> there is no bigger deal than that, to put it in our terms. Never get over the amazing truth that although you were a rebel and deserve God's wrath, he graciously came, sent his son to bear the penalty of your place. That's why David could exclaim in Psalm 32, 1, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. You know as well as I do that they used to once a year sacrifice an animal on the altar and take the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat to cover the sins of the people for a year. And then when Jesus came, who was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, that the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies was removed from top to bottom. God did it. And so that indicating that no longer do we have to do that. Why? Hebrews 10, 16 says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them, their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The new covenant I mentioned a moment ago when we were taking communion, the new covenant is God says the ultimate sacrifice has been made and when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and commit your life to him, God wipes the slate clean and guess what? He doesn't put it on a remembrance list anymore. Forgiveness of sins is something that the youngest child of God can experience in fact, it's foundational to your Christian walk that you know your sins are forgiven. And guess what? Your sins are still forgiven. Your sins are still forgiven. In fact, I want you to say these words, I'm still forgiven. I'm still forgiven. No matter what day it was when you committed your life to Christ, he washed away your sins. Say it with me one more time. I'm still forgiven. He doesn't remember them. He's washed you clean. The second thing is fellowship with the Father. You have known the Father. Literally, you've come to know. Perfect tense. At a time, you were alienated from him, and now you know him. Now you know him personally. And I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit teaches the new Christian that he's come to a father. He didn't say you came to the judge. No, you've come to the heavenly father. And the Holy Spirit also tells us that we can call him Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, let me pause for a second. 
Some people think, well, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I'm, I'm going to be forgiven of my sin and I'm going to heaven when I die and now the rest of my life, I got to toe the line or God's going to be mad at me or I'm, I'm you know, and, and we live in fear the rest of our life. Am I right? Yeah, I know I'm right on this one because it takes one to know one. <laughs> and I are one. Am one. I know that, I know. I just do that for emphasis every now and then. Every now I've got some English teachers that just get chills when I do that. <laughs> I had a good English teacher. You, you've come to the Father. Not some senile old grandpa who sits on the throne giving you anything he wants and you didn't come to some stern, austere judge. You came to the Father. Romans eight fifteen says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Dad is the English equivalent to Abba. All of you have a father. I hope you had the privilege of having a dad. Dad is a relational term. It means no disrespect to God, but let me tell you, you're his child. You've been forgiven, and now you know God. Personally, you have a relationship with him. There's nothing better than that. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well. You've been set free. You walk in the light as God, as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with God. Well, he jumps from the beginning of salvation to little children to the end, to fathers, the mature adults, the steadfastness of matured believers. In verse 13 and 14, the fathers are the spiritually mature in the congregation. They have experienced the joy of forgiveness and fellowship long ago, but over the years, they have grown and they've matured and they even know more than they used to. They progressed into a deep communion with God. And both times, he uses the same phrase, identical. You have known him, that is from the beginning. Now, the word known is the same word he used for children. You have come to know the Father. You have known him from the beginning and you still know him. Now, why do you think he used that term? I think it's a reference to the fact that God does not change. Do you change? Let me ask you folks that are more mature in age, like me. Are you the same as you were 40 years ago? Now I'm not talking about our looks, okay. 
<laughs> None of us can go there. Time hurries on, but in all the generations, the generation after generation after generation, we find that God has not changed. That he's still our refuge. As they sang, he's the strength of our life. Him who has been from the beginning. It, it focuses on the eternality, the eternity of God. It prepares us for the very next section we're going to see in 1 John that talks about the world is passing away and the lust of it and who does the will of the Father abides forever. The older you get, the more you find that the stuff on this earth is just not worth all the effort. You start thinking about eternity. Well, the fact is, we really don't know how old we are. I've told you this a hundred times. You don't know when you're going to die. Now, you assume you're going to live to be a hundred, but you really don't know when you're going to die. So you don't know how old you are. If I'm going to live to be a hundred, in my 60s, I'm not that old yet. But if I'm going to die when I'm 70, I'm getting old. I just don't know. But the fact is, I do know this, that the older I get, the more about eternity I think about. And I also realize that the stuff that people strive to attain on this earth, riches and recognition and pleasure and adventure and whatever, it begins to fade away when you think about death and eternity. And the earlier in your life that you can learn that the Lord Jesus is the eternal one who was with the Father in the beginning and that you will quickly step out of time into eternity, the more you're going to start growing spiritually. That phrase also points us to the Alpha and Omega that Jesus is. Revelation 1.8 and verse 17. We're going to step into eternity. And there won't be any time anymore. You won't need a watch. There's no time in eternity. None. We're bound in time right now. You're going to step out of time into eternity. You won't need a watch. I want you to know I am so thankful for the matured believers that have been in my life. Not only personally, but as a pastor. You know, when I... I can remember starting as a pastor. I was 25 years old when I had my first church as a pastor. Now, I'd been a youth pastor before then, but youth pastors don't know anything. <laughs> I'm just teasing. You know, I was one for six years, and they know a lot, and they influence a lot of kids. I'm just teasing. But, but I, I remember as a 25-year-old pastor, when I came to Southcrest, I was 32 there are a lot of people who stepped into eternity who were matured, seasoned believers that laid a foundation here and, and would stand and talk about their faith in God and, and how it could go on. And, and they're not even here to enjoy a lot of the fruit of what they helped lay. And they encouraged me as a young man. Now, I, I, uh, I used to get that phrase, well, you're so young. I don't ever hear that anymore. I am turning into one of the matured believers. But I thank God for the people who have learned through their life, through it all, 
I've learned to trust in Jesus. That's what you've known him from the beginning. Have we been perfect? Heavens, no, we're not perfect. But you could stand and testify. You're one of the matured believers. And I'll tell you another thing. As a young man, I can remember when some people who were 40 or 50 years older than I was would stand up and say, if God's in this, let's do it. We can't, you can't fail. Let's do it. That blessed my heart. Because a lot of times, you, the older you get, the more set in your ways but not these people. These people had seen that Jesus was faithful to them when they were young, and they were still faithful today. And all these years in between, they could look back and say, I can tell you, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. And they still trusted in him. In a ranching community, there was a man deeply respected by his his life and his family held him in the highest esteem, and his children recognized his authority, his wife received the devotion from him, and when he died, a lot of people in the community came to the funeral, but one of his sons stood up and characterized his character, summed it up in one sentence when he said, Dad was like a hitching post you could tie to him. Well, I want to tell you, mature believers, you can tie to them. They're not perfect. They don't know everything, but they're solid as a rock, and I thank God for the matured believers that we have. And maturity means that you're balanced with your head and your heart. You know, some people can have all the knowledge up here and be mean as a junkyard dog. You heard that term? They got all the jot and tittles just right. They got all the theology right. But they have no compassion, no emotion, none. And then there are those who are all emotion and just crazy. They just are. They do crazy stuff. Matured believers, they're balanced. They've got biblical knowledge, understand who God is, but they still got some life in them, still have some emotions with them, still have some love and compassion and some faith. The third group he talks about are the young men, the strength of maturing believers. The young men are battling right now. They're growing. They're in the heat of battle. These would have been the ones that John would have said, you need to stand up and handle the Gnostics and the heretics in the church. You're the ones on the front line. And folks, if you haven't realized it yet, the Christian life is not a Sunday school picnic. When you find, follow Jesus and you give him your life, all your problems don't go away. In fact, a target's put on you by the evil one. The forgiveness of past sins is there and you are saved and forgiven and you're growing to be more like Christ but the fact is Satan doesn't like it. And some people don't mature and they, you wonder, well, how can they, you know, it's not wrong to be a baby. Did you know it's not wrong? You were born a baby. It's not wrong to be born a baby. It's wrong to stay a baby. There's something wrong if you don't grow. Well, Christians that follow Christ and then don't grow, something's happened. One little boy fell out of bed in his sleep. His father picked him up and put him back in bed and he said, son, what happened? And he said, I don't know. I, I guess I fell asleep too close to where I got in. <laughs> well, some Christians, new Christians, stay too close to where they got out of it and got into Christianity. 
They've fallen asleep too close to where they got in. John mentions three things about these maturing believers. He said, first of all, they're conquering. They have overcome the wicked one. He repeats it twice. He says it about them both times. We're in a war, a spiritual war. And when you follow Jesus, let me tell you something. As long as you're not doing anything for Christ and you're not following him, Satan will leave you alone. But you start serving him and you start living for him and you start loving him with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength, Satan is going to bother you. He walks about seeking whom he may eat down is the word, devour. He's roaring like a lion. He can't have you, but he can sure irritate you. It was testimony night in the church. A lady got up and said, we're living in a wicked land where sin is on every hand. I had a terrible fight with the old devil all week. Her husband stood up, was sitting by her side, said, it's not my fault either. She's tough to get along with. (laughs) I'm not saying the devil is your spouse. But you've come through some territory. You've been snatched out of Satan's domain. Colossians 1.12 says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. You have overcome, you haven't, Satan, Jesus has overcome Satan for you. Some of you live in neighborhoods where the trees are big and you might have a squirrel. I remember what Russ Limbaugh said, all a squirrel is, is a rat with good PR. (laughs) If you have a squirrel and if you have a dog, you have an interesting scenario. That dog wants to chase that squirrel and probably does. And I don't know if you've ever seen a dog chase a squirrel. It'll charge out there. And that squirrel's going to run up a tree. And the next thing you see is the squirrel's up on a limb. The dog's on the ground. And the squirrel's eating a pecan or an acorn or whatever. And they're just sitting up there as content as they can be looking down. And that dog is barking and jumping and nipping, trying to get to that squirrel. But that squirrel is secure. That's the way we are in Jesus Christ. We're in his hands and nothing can take us out of his hands, but Satan's still nipping and barking and accusing and all kinds of stuff. We're secure in him. You've overcome the evil one through Jesus Christ. Later, John's going to write, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He also said you're conquering, excuse me, you're continuous. You are strong Notice it doesn't say you will be. He says you are in its present tense, indicating you have a continuous strength. Where does that strength come from? The Holy Spirit that lives in us. That's why Ephesians 6.10 says we're in the strength of his might. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray by the simplicity and purity of devotion in Christ. See, sometimes Satan attacks in ways that's not just out in front. He's deceptive or he's sly. He's in stealth mode. 
You're continuously strong in the Lord, not in your own power. Listen, you you weren't saved on one day and then you try to live the Christian life in your own power. No, you have the resurrected Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in you. Power is of God and not of you. When you try to do things in your own power, you'll just, just be disappointed. Then he also states that they are conforming. You have the word of God abiding in you in verse 14. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Psalm 119.9. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ephesians 6.17. The sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And when you allow the word of God to live in you and memorize it, and meditate on it. Psalm 1 says meditate means to chew on it, to chew the cud basically is what it means, to bring it up and apply it to your life. What does the Word of God say? The Holy Spirit will teach you these things. The Holy Spirit will guide you in these things. The Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and make it come alive in your life. And you remember, you have a Father in heaven. You've been forgiven. You've been saved as a little child. Some of you have been Christians for many years. Some of you are still growing. All of us are still growing because we never get to the place where we're completely matured until we get home. That's the final promotion is to get home, to be with him. What, what stage of you are you in? That would be hard to measure, wouldn't it? But I tell you the stage I want to make sure you're in, and that is the first one, that you have been born again and you know Jesus. Satan has imitated so many religious things and put it under the guise of Christianity that when you come to the God's word, you you look at everything by God's word responsibly, you're going to find that Jesus is the only one who can save you. It's not anyone else. Mary's not going to help you slip in the door. Mary had to be saved just like everyone else. She was not sinless. Look, folks, don't get mad at me. Don't take my word for it. Read the scripture for yourself. Read your Bible. Don't take some man's word. Don't, I don't ever want you to take my word at face value. I want you to compare it to scripture. I do. Because I'm not afraid. I'm, I, I'm not afraid of it. And it doesn't mean I'm always right. But I know God's word is always right. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't have eternal life. You don't have any life. You are dead spiritually. That's what the scripture says. And if you don't have Jesus, you can come alive today. How? Well, first you've got to admit that you're lost and you're dead spiritually. And that God wants to save you. You ask God to forgive you because of what Jesus has already done. He's done it all. 
You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You commit your life to him. You don't just pray a prayer. You don't walk an aisle, just pray a prayer. You commit your life to Christ. Now, when I first got saved, I didn't realize all that meant. The older I've gotten, the more ramifications I've seen what that really means. That's pretty amazing. But simple childlike faith is how you come to Christ. And if you're still in the baby stage, now if you were just recently saved, that's okay. But if you're not, then, then you maybe you need to start saying, Lord, what's keeping me from growing in you? And it may be that you've taken his grace and forgiveness for granted. And when you begin to understand who you are, you begin to mature and walk in him. You want to follow him. But if you don't know Christ, you can give your life to him right now. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word. We know that, we know that it never returns void. Never. We lift up those who've never received Jesus. They're good people. They're religious people. But they don't know you. They know about you. But they're about 14 inches away from knowing you by bringing you into their life and heart. So Lord, I pray for those that even now will turn from their sin asking you to forgive them and committing their life to you by faith through Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are believers, who are still living in fear. Lord, I pray you'll release them. You didn't give us a spirit of fear. You gave us the spirit of adoption. We're your children. We can come to you and talk to you. I pray that you'd help deliver some people out of their fear and walk in a relationship with you. You want to send some folks here, Lord, to this church? We'll do our best to love and to minister to them. We know we're not perfect. We're just, we're just on the way to maturing. I pray for those that need to be baptized. The first act of obedience to you. So Lord, whatever the decisions might be, would you bring people to you? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.